Welcome to Bottle of Brown, episode three. This episode is my friend Casey Kester, who works in commercial banking in Northern California. He has a unique perspective on how the virus is impacting things economically, but also on the changing work environment brought on by teleconferencing software like Zoom and Teams. We delve into all that while also taking time to show gratitude, which I think is critical in these uncertain times. So without further ado, Bob Media presents episode three of the Bottle of Brown podcast with Casey Kester. Nice room. It's sexy in there. Yeah. This is the podcast studio mm -hmm. currently in under construction. It's not bad. Got the executive washroom in the back. There's a Jack and Jill between my office and her office. Oh, dude, you yeah. have a big setup, man. Like, I can't imagine having that much room in my house. Like, and I are like on top of each other. It's hilarious this week. I don't even have kids. I don't even know what that'd be like. Well, it's nice to have a big house because you can stretch your shit out. All right, cool. You look good. A little more gray, I can see. You haven't been able to get yeah. a haircut. I got my quarantine haircut going. What, what about you? your quarantine beard? I'm surprised I don't see you all like, oh, there is some. Yeah, I can see some shadow. Yeah. Now we did in the side of the yard in the uh, in the gravel. Just straight up. It's clean. It works. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a pair of clippers. I'd have to use my like man shaver, uh, manscaping clippers to cut my hair. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. What are you listening to? You had smooth jazz going? Got a little pender on the background. Mm-hmm but it's a non-specific artist because I don't want to pay royalties. Part about Pandora that I hate the most is they never find advertisements that fit the channel. If I'm listening to classical music, I don't need the sit and sleep guy telling me that my mattress is free. <laughs> this fucking bullshit. You, you want the tickets to the Carnegie Hall that have gone on sale. And you get in the fucking like I'm playing the jazz channel on, on Spotify and all of a sudden this Samsung commercial pops in with some dude rattling off like an auctioneer. I'm like, that's close, but no cigar, man. Come on. You know, and the worst not part is enough. when you, you're doing like kids bop or something for the kids and you're listening to Miley Cyrus and all this. And then they bust in with like erectile dysfunction. No, man. <laughs> no. <laughs> Fucking kids bop, dude. I need you to advertise Let me tell you toys. About yeah, I mean, I want you to advertise toys that they're going to scream about that I have to buy. It's like, do it right. So all of their curated algorithms and then they can't seem to get the advertisements right. Mm. So, Why don't you just pay for Pandora and then you don't get the damn ads? This is fucking bullshit, man. Because this is the modern economy. I don't want to have to pay if I don't have to. I'm paying with my time. The time I take to listen to the advertisements. Hey, 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 I didn't mean to touch a nerve. Anyway, man, how you doing? How's quarantine treating you? It is what it is, man. Um, this is this is bad. This is real bad. This is real bad. But uh, no, it's all good. You know, stuff and I are great. So just been cooking a lot and making food. And I did my grocery run today and dropped a few uh, hundred bucks. Won't be leaving the house now for quite a while. All right, listen, we're going to kick it off the way we normally do. What's your brown for today? Oh. What you rocking? Ooh. Double oaked Woodford. Mm, whoa, Jesus. What do you got in there? Uh, my brown tonight 
is uh, one of your favorites. Ah, nice. Very nice. I almost hit you up just so we can have like a few different ones. Little Basil uh, Hayden Dark Ride. Well, Leon's big thing was Blanton's, and I'd never heard of Blanton's until he mentioned it. Did he bring out a bottle? I got a bottle of Blanton. I got two bottles of Blanton's. We were supposed to drink it when we came out there. It didn't happen. Oh, well. You know what Blanton's look like? You I know do now. Like? I do now. Okay. He said he's uh, collecting all of the horses. He's trying to spell it out. Yeah. I yeah, have. So I'm, I'm looking at a bottle of Blanton's now, and I've never seen that. I'm shocked. My dad has it on the bar. On the bar I mean, is a bottle a lot of, stuff of Blanton's. On, I know, but she does yeah, do a lot of stuff on the yeah, bar. Yeah, but like he used to, he literally got a bottle of Blanton's, I'm not kidding, like 20 years ago. And it sat on the bar for years. He may still have it. Like it's old. But I mean, it's it's a novelty thing, dude. It's I don't know. It, I, it didn't I even occur bottles. to me how close to Kentucky he is. So I was like, oh, what's yeah. it, what's it like there? Because I held up my box of of Green Label because that's my hooch. And he said, "Oh, you can only get it on cruise ships." And I said, "Well, you can also get it at Costco." He says, "Not in a, not in Ohio." No, Ohio. Uh, but it was a it was a sophisticated look at bourbon from somebody that I didn't I didn't think he'd be into it. But I was pleasantly surprised to see what kind of a bourbon hound he had morphed into. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was interested based on his take on rye. Um, so that's why I broke out the basil tonight. So this is kind of a it is brown. We are on brand. Well, but it as is you on can brand. see, it's got a little reddish to it. <laughs> well, I got turned on toward. I mean, I've been drinking a lot lately. I just been drinking more and more, and I just got turned on to Woodford, and I think it is exceptionally good. It is very good. Um, so I picked yeah. this up yesterday or today at the, uh, ugh, I bought it, believe it or not, over at Trader Joe's. Like if you sell, if your sales channel is into the liquor stores, I mean, how about this? I went to the grocery store today. Uh, I was over at Safeway. I tried to buy Tito's, sold out. Like there's just no vodka. Like there's just no vodka. I'm like, fuck it, I'm done. I'm out. There's no vodka. Is that no characteristic Tito's. of your area? Like if you gone on a pilgrimage to find it? No, I think it's just a very popular grocery store. And they literally, I remember I was there a week ago and they had the wing stacks all centered in like, you know, where it was. And they had stacks and stacks and stacks of booze. There's no booze. There's no booze. Everyone drinking them. It's all bought. It's all gone. Liquor sales are literally mirroring, mirror, mirroring the uh, November or holiday season right now. So you're going to get a double whammy this year for liquor sales. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's great in that regard. But if you're a small boutique liquor store or a small boutique like, you know, bourbon outlet, winery, whatever it is, you're the one who's really going to get hurt because you don't have the sales channel. I mean, maybe it works out because eventually people don't know you and they just start picking you up because I mean, shit, we got nothing else to do but drink at home. But I think that's pretty much it. So there's a, there's a meme going around on Instagram that I really liked and I shared it with the wife this morning and it was a picture. It was a printout from Microsoft Word that uh, somebody had hung inside their own refrigerator and it says, you're not hungry, you're bored, close the door. Yep. And so we, we laughed at that because that's pretty much what it is. There's a reason that we're drinking every night. It's because there's nothing else to do. There's and nothing else have, to do. With that and if you have kids, it's like, oh, they're finally in bed. If you have work, I mean, if you are working and, and you have a job, like th- there's definitely people out there that are not working and, and I feel for those people. and you know, unemployment rate of 11 million people and all this other stuff. And it's going to get worse. It's going to yeah. get a lot worse. Yeah. If, uh, if you look at it, I'm like, well, I look, I am, I'm happy that I'm employed. I don't, I'm not bitching, but I will say from my job perspective, 
I don't have enough hours in the day and I don't have the stamina to keep going at this pace either. Like I have everybody, everybody has a problem. Everybody needs something. So no, I, I do want to talk about that because I know you're in the banking industry and I know that this uh, PPP is something that I want to talk about. But in terms of what you were saying before about the small guys. So for those of you listening at home, it was a Bloomberg.com article and it was March 25th to fight the virus slump neighborhood restaurants turn into liquor stores. And the headline is, uh, can buying a bottle of Chianti save a stricken industry? Maybe not, but it can take the edge off. So I was laughing about that because we went to, went to the shopping center, you know, across the street uh, in my neighborhood. And you know that if the quarantine had canceled your trip, you'd know all about my neighborhood. But there's a BevMo in it. And there's a furniture store next to the BevMo. On the other side is at Tilly's. And it's just, it's a regular strip mall. We were pulling into the furniture store so the wife could go in and look at something. And this was before the lockdown and, and the stay-at-home orders and all that. And I saw all the pieces of red tape lined up outside the BevMo. And BevMo had one of those A-frames out on the sidewalk that said only online pickup or delivery orders. Like if you're walking in off the street, sorry, dude, ain't going to happen. Like some guy isn't going to come out with yeah. a pad and pencil and take your order. But who doesn't hold a smartphone in their pocket that can go like, I'm going to order this. There you go. Let's see you. The Let's three guys that were outside of the BevMo pissing and moaning when I was there, because that's exactly what I did. I got back in the car and I ordered two cases of beer and it sent the order in and I walked right up and the guy's like, oh, good. You put the order online. Nobody else seems to know how to do that. <laughs> the article, <laughs> the oh. article says that little restaurants now that aren't getting food because the regulars want to escape from their spouses and go and sit at the bar and hold the wall up all day. They're now coming back going, great, I'll take a takeout order, but also what do you got? And so you're finding that these little restaurants are starting to stay afloat if they don't have delivery service by selling their bottles of booze. Well, they're not a, a they're selling cocktail. cocktail. I, I, they're not selling their booze because they can't do that. That's, that's wrong because they get that at a, at a lower price than consumers is. So you can't do that. I don't know if you've ever seen it, like a bottle of Jim Beam with a red cap on it. Have you ever seen that? No. Do tell. It's an example of where the sales channel is coming um, for being you know, sold in a restaurant and so forth. So that's just an example. We never see it. You always see, you see a black cap, but there's, there's red. They're just as an example. But um, no, uh, they're, uh, the Alcohol Bureau, the ABC, has really loosened. Beverage control, yeah, yeah they really loosened their restrictions. And so wineries are basically finally states are really kind of walls going down where you weren't allowed to do deliveries. They're allowing them now because the public wants it. And then too, like you're having restaurants that are literally letting cocktails walk out the front door because there's, you, you can't strangle these companies anymore. Like there's a point where it's like, okay, I understand you don't want, you know, open drinking in the middle of your, of your town. Okay, cool. But like, you're literally going to lose all these restaurants and you're only going to have, you know, chains left and no town wants a chain to be its source of, you know, revenue because the revenue doesn't stay there. It just leaves. If it's a, if it's a corporation in a small town, it just leaves and goes back to the corporation. If it's a small town and so forth, you get a return on that over and over again with employees and respend and, and profits basically and everything it all yep. stays in that town you want that so you as just kind of the federal look at things 
you have to start breaking down a lot of walls so that you can encumber these businesses to stay afloat. I'm not saying they're gonna. If you're literally looking to like alcohol sales to be like my saving grace, you're kind of screwed. It's gonna be really hard. But to your point of other things that they're doing, I mean, we have a local one here that does barbecue and they are now doing, I looked at it today, it, it was a fruit basket. It had a pineapple, uh, blueberries, avocado, all this stuff, $35. Because there's such a backlog in the amount of quote unquote service-based suppliers that have all this food that's going to go to waste it can't you can't you can't just plug it into a sales channel in the sense of the grocery stores even though they're out of avocados like it's already set to go this way it's already been purchased from this distributor and this distributor is putting it out to its sales channel you can't do that so they're looking at innovative ways to push produce you can get eggs milk you know like all that stuff it's kind of crazy like the backlog of how much food is going to go to waste just because there's no place to put it. It is insane. Billions yeah, of dollars. I'm thinking about it at the small level because I did read that Disneyland's given its food away to food banks just because they have it and they can't do anything with it. That's, an, that's a big one. And I mean, you take it as a loss, but then like, uh, this is me as the financer on that, is that like, Disney has to pay for that no matter what. That means they're not making any revenue. So then they're not going to be able to pay the manufacturer side or the growers, like it all trickles down. So I'm happy that they're doing that, but what's gonna end up happening is like, you have to prop all this up on the back end because the, the little guy who's the grower of the potato, who you know sold it to the cut fry, who then sold it to the distributor, who then went over to Disneyland. Hey, it's great, you gave it away to people. But who's gonna get paid and when? Never? It's just well, I, I thought of it as a sunk cost. So they, they buy all mm -hmm. that stuff. I'm sure Disney pays, you know, net 90. I, I don't think that they buy food on consignment. Like we're only going to pay you if we sell it. I don't think that works. No, 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 no. But just they're not going to buy any more. No, 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 no. It's all from a major, a major, major food distributor, you know, that's out there. You have to look at it on that level. Yeah, I, I looked at it as a sunk cost. Like, we're going to have to throw all this food away, so why don't we give well, it away and get a little PR out of it? And I think that's a lot of what companies are doing. And, so here's, um, direct, here's directly from the article. <clears throat> New York's Auto Enateca e Pizzeria has simplified the wine choosing process by offering eight bottles, all priced to 20 bucks, which is around the price bad. they retail for. At Odette in Florence, Alabama, the half dozen bottles for sale are also 20 bucks each. They accompany the family meal menu. Quote, we're allowed to sell bottles of liquor up to 750 milliliters. Since we're known for our liquor and bourbon selection, we jumped at this opportunity. Uh, Maybe they can sell the booze then. Cocktail hmm? kits. This is the part that I love. Cocktail kits outfitted with house-made mixers and garnishes also sell well, like the $55 Aperol Spritz box. It's a notable change for a town that was dry into the 1980s. Well, yeah, that's definitely being seen is that the walls are coming down, man. Like I was saying, like, I'm not, I, I didn't follow a lot of those cause I was looking at kind of wine retailers or uh, wineries basically finally breaking down sales channels. Um, but yeah, it's a great example. I think uh, it's genius. It, com, com, no, commerce is going to change. It's, or it's going to change for the short term or it's going to change forever. Like, I think the beauty is, is that like once you put these things in place, it's really tough to go backwards, which is why they're so kind of they're so difficult to kind of break down. The other article that I sent you also from Bloomberg. You just give me a color commentary. 
So also on March 26th, I think maybe from the same guy, what to wear when working from home, a blazer that's secretly sweatpants. Here's how to fake dressing nicely in comfy clothes. I thought this was genius. This is funny. Despite being homebound, Robert Kaderi and a real estate salesperson at Compass has been dressing up for a day of apartment showings and meetings. Right now I'm wearing khakis and a button down, which is what I'd be wearing on a normal office day. He said last Friday from his apartment in Manhattan, it's to give myself some sense of normalcy. It felt very good to take a shower, make the bed, get dressed at a time when I normally would. His boyfriend, John Mayer, a specialist at the art auction house Sotheby's took a different approach. Right now I'm wearing blue chinos and a very casual t-shirt and slippers. We started working remotely on Monday of this week and there hasn't been a single day I've put on a collared shirt. So take that dichotomy. Because I always, having worked from home before the quarantine, I always wore a collar. And that was simply, I'm going to talk to somebody over video conference. I don't agree well, that's with the, difference, though. the concept like of actually- wearing a t-shirt. It's I want a collar because I want to know that I'm working. And I want to know that there's some level of professional decorum to what I'm doing. Well, that's the closed meet. Well, two things there. One, you're actually having video conference calls with people. I have yet to do one video conference call for my job. Being comfortable is important. Uh, two, I see your point. I mean, the clothes make the man in some ways. And so it definitely is one of those things. It's like if you work in an office setting, if you just even work in an office, let's say the office has a relaxed set of attire that they allow. Um, I'm not saying you roll in wearing jeans with holes on it. That's probably frowned upon in a pair of like, you know, Crocs, all things I've seen in my office. I think there is a level of kind of like, you know, you want to be comfortable, but you also want to have some sense of professionalism, college shirts. I push the boundaries. I'm, I'm more... I'm going to back you up on this one. The camera sees what it wants. I'm not telling you you have to wear pants. <laughs> well, I always say, if you don't got to wear pants, don't wear them. <laughs> I keep telling my wife that when she's on, the, on her calls. I'm like, you're not going to wear pants today, right? She goes, I'm always wearing pants. So what rituals from before the quarantine are we expected to maintain, saith the article? Must you dress up for a digital check-in with a colleague? What if it's your boss? What if you are the boss? <laughs> I already had one with my boss, actually, the one time I actually did have a conference. I was just showing her how to use the function. Yeah, right. We're, we're totally in just chill wear. No one's going to do any of it. It doesn't matter. Unless you're selling a house or you need some sense of professionalism. If it's coworker to coworker, it doesn't matter. I think coworker to coworker, yeah, you can relax it. Because you both know each other. And it's like, yeah, I know you're professional normally, but now it's whatever. So then, so then the next stage is basically if you're in sales or if you're in some sense of commerce back and forth. And I don't care what it is. If you need that, then yeah, you're, you're going to need to have some sense of professionalism to be personified. I don't think it matters. Well, the article goes on. Is wearing a sport coat while working from the couch borderline insanity? Pretty much. But some people need that. Some people, <laughs> everyone's geared differently in one way or another. I mean, look, you and I are SoCal kids. Like, we'd be perfectly happy in flip-flops and board shorts every day. Like, that's oh, yeah. all I really need. Yeah, it's flip-flops. Period. And in the winter, it's a hoodie. But it's always yeah, flip-flops. Yeah, it's always flip-flops. I mean, that's just, that, that's our lifestyle. And so that's one, one way that we grew up and that's something we associate with. If I live in Manhattan, and that's not how you grow up in Manhattan, I bet. Like, you're in boarding schools with collared shirts already from the get-go. You see a kid wearing Birkenstocks, and you basically want to beat him up for being a bohemian idiot. Like, it's a different sense of culture and what you're upbringing. So that'll pretty much dictate how your attire will. Okay, I'll give you that. I think if you're meeting with a client or an outside partner, there is some level of decorum that you should still keep up, even if it's over a digital medium. Now, granted, as I said before, you don't have to have shiny shoes. But for the parts that people see, you should shave, you should comb your hair. 
well, do you start the day that way? Like, I mean, that's always the funny thing is that like, for someone who basically never knows where their day is going to go, like there's a plan about these A, B and C things are going to happen. It never works out that I start a day and I have one meeting and it turns into six by the end of the day. And that six meetings could be with all different people. So it's like one of those things is that like, to your point, either you are or you aren't. You either are going to be that person wearing the collar in the coat or whatever it is because you can't expect what your day is going to be. Or you're going to be, I don't care. I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to do my job at the best of my ability and I don't care. I would say if you know that all of your meetings for the day are probably going to be with coworkers, you don't have any planned or even any possibility of talking to an outside person, either another firm or a partner or somebody outside of the organization. There's something familial about the organization itself where it's like, you don't mind your coworker seeing you in a t-shirt because they probably smelled the food that you're making for lunch or you've gone out with them or there is some level of camaraderie or friendship where it's like, yeah, dude, I don't mind you seeing me in a t-shirt. It's totally cool. If there's a if there's a work event, a holiday party, or a, or a summer picnic, you know you're going to see that person in shorts. You're going to see that person in casual attire at some point during the year. So the idea of seeing them on a video conference call, cash, totally cool. Something about the outside of the company conversation. I think you should measure some kind of formality to it, even if it's supposed to be quote unquote informal. So that's why I always wear a collar on the days when I know I'm going to be talking to somebody. Well, yeah, if I'm talking to my team and then I know that it's my guys, then I'll, I'll keep the t-shirt on or maybe I'll wear a, a branded company sweatshirt, right? So I got this guy here and this one here, as you can see, has it's got the corporate logo, right? And so I will rock this with offices from other countries. I'll definitely make sure that the brand is represented and this will be what I rock, you know, when it's time to talk to the company. So I've got some branded gear that I can throw on over a t-shirt so that there's at least yeah. some level of propriety. You know, in my office, like I, I would probably will go this year and not wear a tie. And I probably pretty much never need to wear one unless I just want to do one because it's a funny gag. It's like a Jerry Garcia or something like, what do I care? It's interesting. And I, I guess to my point is what I'm getting at is that like at the end of this coronavirus, people return to some sense of what normalcy is. I believe that the working from home, you know, structure and corporation structure will be more prevalent. It'll, it'll happen more. Like it's just because companies don't want to pay for the office space. And, and the thing is, is that before all this stuff happened, you had a situation where everyone was consolidating down and you were getting workstations. No more doors, no more offices. You were having this, this constriction basically happening. If that was the case, you had literally six people that were literally three feet from each other. Like that's literally where it was going. To my point is that like, you're going to have more people working from home. And so this sense of what do you wear will actually be probably pretty much a conversation that's going to come up more often in the sense either people get more lax or they end up wearing a college shirt on, you know, these days during the week when they have meetings or whatever. The other side of it too is that companies have invested a lot of money because of this for people to work from home, where it's simply put that like, like it's the, I think that is exactly what is happening. And like the idea that you have to go into an office is becoming less and less. There should be some human to human interaction because that's the foundation of businesses. You have to establish trust. It's about relationships. There are certain tasks within a corporation that can be done robotically. Remotely. You, you do have to have some element of human connection. So if it's going to be something numerical based, so I don't want to pick on finance, but there are some measures of accounting where it's like numbers get in, they get processed, they get published, it can be sent back. You have get to in. do an audit. 
you, have you don't to necessarily an have to have the person. human interaction, but when you start talking about sales and marketing, you have to have that personal connection. So there is going to be some element of humans getting together to collaborate, and it probably won't be 100% online. There is also the fact that there are companies that have spent a considerable amount of money on brick and mortar enterprise, and they're going to want to do something with that asset. Yeah, well, it's the, it's the question of at what point does your efficiency start being sacrificed by separating your employees outside of the workplace. Um, I work in a collaborative kind of, I have to work with other people to understand kind of the whole situation. And a lot of times that comes with, I need to ask you a quick question and I need to talk about this and work, walk me through what you're trying to do. And let's, let's try and come to a, a resolution. Now, if I'm doing that from home, it takes so much longer than if everyone was in the office. So there is a double side to it. Like if you have a cut and drive, like, you know, just boom, to this A to B to C to D. Oh, great. Cool. That's not, just, but when you're actually trying to create something or, you know, build, it can be a little bit more difficult. I'm glad you hit on that. The, the quick question for you added up over time could be seen as a liability, but I think it really is the bread and butter of a collaborative organization. If you have opportunities to interrupt people, as much as they may hate that and they may blame it on their loss of productivity, the quick question for you, collaboration really does propel work forward. Slingshot. It slingshots, it slingshots the productivity because it puts everyone on the same page. Yeah. Instead of people losing ground because they're off in no man's land and go, oh, well, we don't need that. Like we're over here. I'm like, well, that would have been great if I knew that yesterday. That all comes with creativity or at least it's, it's a sense of like, I don't know, it's the world we live in today. Everything I don't is think so it's specific to your industry. I think it applies. It's not like yeah. it, it applies to everybody. I'm just, I just think about like my industry and how I try to get a deal over the finish line. And there's tremendous amount of work and collaboration that is involved to do that because you like, you're trying to sometimes just throw things against the wall to see what sticks. I mean, that's how everything works. How do you, you know, want to sell a widget to how do you want to, you know, grab financing or what's your thought on where markets are going or international or, you know, I mean, we're so global in the amount of information that we have that we have a tremendous amount on our fingertips. But we have to sift through it constantly to find out what is the meat? What is the potato? Like what is actually what I need to know? Or like, I mean, if I live in my own world, that's great. Is that how everyone else is thinking this and seeing it? Because I think that's the most interesting thing about this is that like my interpretation on how something might work is great, but you know, I only am as so good as my experience. And so as we kind of build in our jobs and we grow, we get better experience in kind of what we're doing. So we, really gravitate to those people that have the tremendous amount of experience like have you seen this what would you do what are you seeing that i'm not seeing what what's another angle i'm missing like i see this as being really cut and dry but it can't be and so like those are the questions and that's the camaraderie that you get with having an office 100 percent. yeah i agree so it it looks like uh, and you can give me your take on this. It looks like you're going to get to a point after the pandemic is declared over and we start trying to pick up the pieces. Flatten the curve. That you're looking at a situation where it's probably completely acceptable to come into the office a couple of days a week. 100%. If you want to take one, two, maybe up to three days at home to finish a crucial project, or that's where you feel the most productive, Maybe you only come in once or twice a week for key team meetings, opportunities for that collaboration. You're talking about lunches. 
all hands meetings, that kind of thing. Although I just had an all hands meeting in my day job and there were 96 of us on zoom and it was pretty good. We heard the PowerPoint presentations we would have, there were people in the chat feed cracking jokes. I mean, there was levity, there was an opportunity for personal relationships and I thought it was pretty productive. Yeah. But did you find it took longer? Like I, but like, and longer, it was dramatically like, shorter. Really? Because Seriously. I would think it'd be the opposite. So that, that brings into the point of if you're going to do these and what we see the future to be these, to your point is like, you could have just wrapped this up in an email. You need to have an agenda. You need to have a structure. There's no reason for us to have a meeting unless there's a purpose. And that purpose needs to be spelled out with an order. Like, it's just, I mean, if you have like three people speaking, great. Those three people have these PowerPoints and it goes, I'll be honest, I think it's greatly productive. But if you're throwing out meetings with like 90 people and it's like an open call and like, we'll have questions and this and that, and there's no agenda. God, I've had, I've had bank calls that were like that too. And I'm just like, this is garbage. You basically threw this together. <laughs> well, you have no clue. This is terrible. And literally gotten off. I'm like, what is this crap? Right. Anyway. That's, that's what I'm talking about is managers are going to have to get their shit together. You're going to have to fucking know what you want. You're going to have to mm -hmm. know exactly what your employees are doing and how to measure them. And you're going to have to be able to be actionable about it. So this, this meeting that we got in, it's, we, do, we do four of them a year. We talk about the numbers. We talk about these social committees that people get into, which the social committees are still going despite not being at the office. The whole concept of a social committee at the office, I think, and this might be a cynical view, but I think this whole point of a social committee was the people that travel live this rock star life. <laughs> you get to stay in hotels, you get to jump on planes, you get to go out and drink afterwards with clients. They you get, get to, points, points get for to, free vacations. Yeah, you, you get loyalties and then you get to use those loyalty points when you actually take vacations. You get to go out and see the world. You get to do all these things. And the reality is it sucks. Your back hurts, your feet and knees hurt. You're in a new area. You don't, know, you don't get to sleep in your own bed. It's a time zone shift. You might pick up a, a bug in a different city and bring it home and infect your entire family. There's highs and lows of the, of the travel life on the road. These people that are home all day, that come into the office every day and see the same people every single day, there had to be some method of providing value to them at the organizational level that you created these social groups, like a social responsibility group or an employee recognition group or an education committee or an events committee. Those people are still going strong because they actually believe in it. So it isn't just the, there's cake in the break room. It was actually good. It was, it was organized. It was, we hit all these presentations. There was an opportunity for people to throw comments in the chat feed. I think the reason that it ran shorter than it normally does is you don't have to take a pause for audience breaks. You don't have to take a pause for laughter. You don't have to deal with the annoying thing of why doesn't the PowerPoint open? It's like, really guys? You didn't do a dry run 15 minutes before all of us showed up. But the other thing is you can be a part of the quarterly all hands meeting while you're working on a project. So rather than pull every employee away from their desk and sit them in a room and promise them food for the benefit of core information about the business that might be valuable to them, they could technically be listening with one ear and working on a project. So you might get 20 or 30% productivity out of them. So that's value. I would say this, the reality is, is that person who's sitting there on that meeting is watching that. But the beauty is that they're on their other looking on the other screen and there's, they're answering emails and they're, they're moving the ball forward in a, in a very, maybe it's a fractional, small, little amount, but at least it went forward because that employee now, 
look, if you had to travel to wherever that is, I mean, for me, it's like, I have to travel into the city, which means I got to get on a train and that's up. And it takes an hour in and an hour back. And that's like costly. We've been going in this direction more and more for web structured meetings. And I think we are going to see them be very dominant in the future. What I want to close out on this other topic is the brand of the article is called Nice Stuff, founded last year, which has taken casual knit fabrics as opposed to woven ones and made from them garments most often seen in corporate environments, blazers, button-up shirts, dress pants. Suddenly, these products seem particularly relevant. During tough times in the past, people have reverted to a more traditional way of dress with regard to business attire, but it doesn't need to be uncomfortable. While appearing professional, we hope our products will keep our customers feeling more comfortable than they look. Quoth, nice stuff clothing advisor, Tom Ott. That to me is fucking incredible that you can wear sweats that look formal because this is a camera. Now there's high resolution in the camera. You can see the stubble on my face and you can probably see shit written on my whiteboard. But be honest, would you really know? No. And you don't have to wear pants. I don't wear pants. I know you're in the banking industry and I know you're in the commercial credit area, but can you give me a primer on the Paycheck Protection Program? Well, the basic idea is the government is trying to help out companies that fit in certain parameters of guidelines so that they can continue to get revenue coming in if they show that they have a hardship to pay their employees. It's basically the U.S. government saying, all right, well, you're not making any money, but we still need you. We need to basically support the foundation of this economy, which built on small business. And they're running this through the normal commercial banking system? There's a lot of programs, and I probably can't speak to all of them because it's like drinking from a freaking fire hydrant. (laughs) But in any event, yes, the the government on Friday, this is a day-to-day kind of thing. Like, we start one way, and it opens up other ways. You know, the $2.3 trillion. There's other programs, too, that's supposed to help who doesn't get caught in PPP can get caught in this. And the thing about PPP is it's forgivable. That's, that's the idea behind it. It's forgivable debt. The other programs are not. What are your predictions, if you have any, based on the things that we should be looking back on with what's going on with this thing now? So if I'm looking back at 10 years, your question broken down in different ways. If, if I'm looking back 5, 10, there is a lot of different degree of where this goes and kind of breaking it down in three different ways. The first way is looking at the severity of this as the impact of being only um, a short blip recession that lasts 10 to 12 months, which is kind of where we're at today. Two would be kind of the medium. All right, fine. It lasts a little bit longer than 10 to 12 months and it goes into like 15 months and it's on the the hinge of a depression it is called a light depression or depression structure and then third would be wow we're looking at two years of absolutely gut-busting depression food lines bank collapse small nations third third world second world nations really struggling huge amounts of loss of life is that what you were looking for Yeah, man, it was fucking exactly what I'm looking for. I don't know, man. That's what I think about all day. So what do you want me to say? It's why I drink. Okay, deep shit. Let's let's pivot. Baseball. I like baseball. Here's my baseball. You and Leon were supposed to come hang out and watch some baseball. And now baseball's gone. Gone. The rumor is they're going to bring all of the teams here and hang out in Scottsdale and play blackjack at the Talking Stick Reservation and play in Cactus League stadiums empty. What's your take on that? 
Sports have to come back, period. Baseball will start and there will not be a fan in the seat. I think what you're going to see is that players are going to be actually sitting in the spectators' seats. I don't know how they get around the umpire situation. I don't feel very strongly with going, we're going to go digital on umpires. To your question, sports will return. Definitely baseball will return. Don't see football returning anytime soon. Too much contact? Too much contact. I think that's kind of my stance is, you know, someone that, that misses the game. I miss sports, but I'm catching up on my Netflix like we all are today. Uh, I mean, we're all following some show in one, one way or another, but um, yeah. That was, um, that was a question I had for somebody who I know is a major baseball fan. I love the Patriots. And now that Brady's gone on to Tampa Bay, I'm probably going to follow the Bucks. And being here in <laughs> Phoenix, I do actually follow the Cardinals. So now I have three teams within my rotation for football. But I'm not the kind of person that feels he can spend eight hours in front of the TV on Sunday in order to catch all the action that's going on. So to me, the fact that sports have been shut down, eh. I feel bad for the people that rely on the stadiums. I feel bad for the vendors. I feel bad for the people collecting tickets, the people that clean the stadiums. I feel bad for the people that wash the uniforms, all of that ecosystem that revolves around sports. It's one thing to say, yeah, they're all millionaires, screw them. But there is actually a very vibrant ecosystem that relies on live sport, not just the television rights. But given all of the options available to us in the age of the Netflix, there is plenty available to occupy our time such that sport, while very serious to many people, it could lose some of its cachet because it's not there anymore. And I don't know that that's a bad thing. As we're rounding third, this is fun, man. Well, you do it again. I hope you have this. No, I do. I think I want to smoke a big giant ball of weed and see what comes out <laughs> we're we're at a point in our lives where we have steady jobs we probably have some debt we've lived a life and we have life experiences that are now starting to lead to physical decay i don't think any one of us has anything near the physique that we used to have not even our baseball player buddy who had a professional career ahead of him. Uh, everything about us is breaking down but the mind is still sharp And it allows us to look back on our lives at this midpoint and reflect on what kinds of turns we took, where it ended up, why we can enjoy what we did and where we could have changed things up. To to your point, the retrospective of looking at things, like I think that's that should be a focal point some ways that you have is that looking back, like, you know, you have the ability to know a lot of these people. I mean, what year did we kind of actually meet? I mean, 2000, 2000, I think. no. You and I got 20, 20 years in the can, yep. We got 20 years in the can, right? 20 years of can, 20 years of perspective, 20 years of kind of things that I did differently and things that you did differently. Things that I chose this path and you chose that and things of experiences that you've been able to have that I haven't. You have friends that um, grow and, and we move on from different experiences and so forth. But damn it, if we don't miss those conversations, like I miss them with totally, like, I spent more time with that fool than anyone other than his wife, obviously. And like, dude, the conversations and the enlightenment that I got from them were so profound. I mean, they definitely had an effect on me on whether you want to talk about political or understanding. I mean, the dude's an artist. 
But the dude could have been anything he wanted to do in life. He's fucking like, brilliant. He, he is a brilliant mother. And I, I love him so much because he expanded my horizons on so many different levels. Just like you, Jeff. It's a different perspective. And it's something that we miss as we grow older. Because we get so clouded constantly by all of the other outside things in our world whether they're kids or family or, you know, whatever. And so today, you know, being able to bring people into this is what's really important. So this was good, man. I really liked this. Well, I'm glad it was good. I, I think it could have been better. I, I, I didn't realize we were recording until like 15 minutes in. I was like, oh, shit. Uh, I, I could have like, I could have crafted a different. It's tough with your PPP stuff, to be honest. Like, dude, that world, I'm not, I'm not willing to touch it right now because it is so it's insane like it's insane i mean to be honest i think we should do one in a week just to see what what's changed from the last to the new like because then i'm not kidding dude five days in this business is unreal like it is insane what's what has moved all right i'm uh gonna go pass out i'm drunk take care brother all right This place is dead anyway, man. <laughs>